Go ahead, you may be seated. And uh, as you're sitting down, grab your Bible, or if you don't have a Bible, grab one of those in, in front of you on one of the chairs there. And I'm going to read to you uh, a text. So we're not covering the whole text that we did last week, but we're, we're going to be working out kind of a portion of the same text that we looked at last week. So I'm going to read that portion to you in Romans chapter 10, verses 13 to 17. Romans 10, verses 13 to 17. For everyone who calls on the name of the master will be saved. Amen. Amen. How then? How then? Can they call on him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without someone who proclaims? Now, a lot of your texts will say preacher there. But again, I just want to keep reminding you, that's not some dude behind a pulpit. Sometimes it is. I, I want to proclaim Jesus every morning. But you're a proclaimer. How can they proclaim unless they are sent? As it is written in Isaiah, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all obeyed the good news. For Isaiah also says, Master, who has believed our message? So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about the Messiah. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Oh, I love when I get to actually giggle during worship, like just seeing Aaron like grip it and rip it back there, man. That was awesome. Aren't you thankful for our worship teams? Yeah, just to help us worship God this morning the way that they do. Thanks so much, you guys for your ministry among us. Uh, would you open in your Bibles once again to Romans 10, 13. And uh, just want to let you know, uh, just kind of an FYI for you, that this morning, uh, the missions moment that we've been having, so I, I promised you one of those, and you're like, well, last time it happened before the sermon, and now we're at the sermon, and what's going on? And well, the missions moment and the sermon are really going to be combined. So that's coming uh, about 50, 60% of the way into the sermon here this morning. Um, the first thing I want to do is just remind you that for some of you who uh, maybe weren't here last week, it is missions month here at Grace Church. And uh, to kick it off last Sunday, we stayed in our sermon series on Paul's letter to the Romans, which is a really wonderful place to be as Paul himself was a remarkable missionary for Jesus, right? Like, it's, we, sometimes we can forget that. Paul was an amazing missionary for Jesus. If you want to read all about some of his mission trips and see the kinds of things that happened on his mission trips, you can do that in Luke's wonderful book. Luke traveled with him and wrote all of that down in what we call the book of Acts. Now, our aim last week was to discover how the nations... Right? And, and so actually what would be good right now is to pause and think about what are the nations. Because the nations are not, when, when we look in the Bible, the nations are not kind of the political, economic, boundaried nations that we think of today across the globe. When the Bible talks about nations, it isn't talking about those kinds of nations. It's actually talking about ethnicities. 
So, for example, because you think, well, why is that distinction important? Well, for example, Cameroon, which is a nation, you can look at it on a map, right, has 67 different people groups in it. And the reason that's so important for missions is because if we reach one of those people groups, we can't say, oh, let's check Cameroon off the map, because there would still be 66 people groups left to reach. So the Bible, when it's talking about nations, is talking about ethnicities or people groups. So our aim was to discover how the nations, how all ethnicities, will call on Jesus. That was our aim last week. And we were concerned about that because Paul was concerned about that. He has given us this remarkable promise that everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. Chapter 10, verse 13. Then he gives us the steps that are required for that salvation to occur, right? Each one dependent upon the other. We saw that in chapter 10, verses 14 to 21. And what is so critical to the nations being able to call on Jesus is that saved ones must be sent ones who are proclaiming ones. Paul then pointed out that there was a number of potential causes, potential causes for Israelite unbelief in his day. We saw that in verses 18 to 21. None of which we saw were the reason for that unbelief. Rather, the cause of their unbelief was that they were disobedient and defiant. Verse 21, as regards the good news of Jesus Messiah. And then we talked about, okay, how how might we learn from their mistake? And I asked you the question, are we disobedient and defiant towards God as regards the call of Jesus to proclaim the good news as sent ones to our town and our valley, which is what we call outreach, right? Like local, same culture, context, proclaiming the name of Jesus as well as our being part of that proclamation directly or supportively proclaiming the name of Jesus to the 3.2 billion people who make up unreached people groups, 7,253 unique, created in the image of God people groups that have not yet been reached with the name of Jesus, which we call missions, right? So that's the distinction that we were drawing between outreach and missions, both of them proclamation of Jesus, both of which we are to be involved in. Because while Israelites did have a fair chance, is what we saw from Paul, to hear, understand, and embrace the good news, all the people of Salida was my contention, and all the nations of the world have not had a fair chance to hear, understand, and embrace the good news of Jesus. And I argue that it is our responsibility to reach them. Because... And this is what hit me just fresh again last week. In a stunning move in the story of God to reach the globe, he gave us the exhilarating commission to do that. (laughs) God himself. Like, there's a sense in which that's really surprising when you consider who you is. And And it's just absolutely amazing that the God of the universe, I mean, when you look in the mirror, like you can look in the mirror and go, he gave this to me. He invited me to be on this mission and on this adventure. He's given me the opportunity 
of the joy of helping someone walk out of darkness into the light of Jesus and experience the forgiveness of their sins and the fulfillment of all of God's promises to them and to walk them through the waters of baptism and to teach them everything that he has commanded. Like he's given that to us to do. And there's no greater calling. No greater calling. There's nothing better you could do with your life than to be involved in that mission. So why don't we? Why aren't we? What's stopping us? Well, we looked at three potential obstacles last week. Awkwardness. And I already heard stories of you guys last week pressing into the awkward. I'm so proud of you. That we don't believe in hell, or at least we don't think about it enough, or we don't act like we actually believe in it. And we don't know or remind ourselves of the urgent local and global need. Now, if you're wondering, how do I get all these down because I wasn't here last week, you got a service guide when you came in. All of that's in your service guide. Every, the five ideas we're headed towards here are in the service guide as well, so you can pull that out. So those were the three potential obstacles to us being involved in outreach and missions. And I said to you, well, you know, obstacles feel kind of negative, don't they? Which is because they are, <laughs> right? I mean, obstacles are a negative Thing. So this morning I want to talk about some positive, proactive ways that we can grow one step closer to Jesus in our outreach and missions. And here's why that's so important is, is because Jesus himself had a heart for outreach and missions. So if we want to grow closer to him and grow into his likeness, excuse me, we'll, we'll grow in outreach and missions because that was his heart. It's how he lived, right? It says, first, first I went to the house of Israel. What was that? Well, it's outreach. Same culture, near context. To proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. And then he says, God sends me to what? The Gentiles, which is us, which was missions. His heart was for the near and familiar, outreach, and the far and diverse, missions. And it's why he sent those first disciples out in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's not forget that, right? We have the power of the Holy Spirit to be his witnesses. What does he say in Acts chapter 1, verse 8? I am sending you in the power of the Spirit to be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem? What's that? That's outreach. Judea and Samaria. Okay, we're getting out there a little bit. We're headed towards mission. And to the ends of the earth. And it's no different for us, right? Do we have the same spirit that Jesus gave to the disciples in the first century? Um, sorry. Do we have the same spirit? We do. Well, what do you think that spirit cares about? That spirit cares about sending us. Even as the Father sent me, Jesus said, so send I you. That's you, y'all, right? And we are sent out to where? What's our Jerusalem? Salida. What's our Judea and Samaria? Arkansas River Valley. And, and where else are we supposed to go? To the ends of the earth. See, I don't have the option to not care about all three levels of that geography, even though I don't know geography and can't do directions to save my life. Now, I know many, I know many of you, if not most of you, want to be obedient and submissive. So you, maybe you're thinking, man, you're walking out last week, like, geez, that was a really heavy message. And I, I mean, I want to obey. 
I, want to be, I don't want to be disobedient and defiant. I want to be obedient and submissive to God. And some of you came out to say, okay, you got to help me. Like, I want to. I even, have you ever said this? I want to want to. <laughs> like, we can admit, like, I don't really want to do that. I know I, I, know I should, so I want to want to do that. And, and you said that to me last week, so that's why we're staying here this week so that our Savior's heart will become our heart for the nations. You know, this is a simple prayer that I often pray. It's just, and you've heard me pray it here. Father, will you just give me a bigger heart for my city? Just get, like, I need your heart. Give me a bigger heart. <laughs> I feel like my heart's like the Grinch heart. And then what happened at the end of the story? That's what I want to have happen in my heart. So I have five ideas for us this morning towards that. Increasing our heart to be like Jesus' heart. For some of you, this is going to be brand new. Some of these will be brand new to you. You're not doing them. Uh, For many of you, you're already doing them. But the benefit for you will be reviewing each one for adjustments that you can make in in that particular area, whatever it is, asking Asking God, so I would ask you to be prayerful. We should be prayerful throughout a morning service on a Sunday morning. Be prayerful. Like, Father, is, there, is this the one? I'm not saying you have to do all five even necessarily. Like, is this the one that you want me to press into? And how do you want me to press into this particular idea that, that pastor's talking about this morning? What, what is there something that might be different that you're calling me to do or more? Is there something more you're calling me to do in this area that I'm already involved in. So, again, all of this is on your service guide. Number one, give. Number one, give. Jesus teaches us, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, a bunch of things that he just talked about, all the things that we want (laughs) in life, and all those things will be added to you. And Jesus is saying, the order is important. I'll give you everything you need. Seek first the kingdom. He further revealed what is fundamentally true of humans. Where our treasure is, our hearts will be. Where our treasure is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, Jesus understands the gravitational pull of treasure on our hearts. And here's something that I think is absolutely brilliant about what Jesus does in this teaching. He doesn't say, don't desire treasure, right? He doesn't seek to remove the gravitational pull of treasure on our hearts. What Jesus seeks to do is grab hold of that power and redirect it and use it for his purposes, So if you want to grow your heart's desire for outreach and missions, if you want your heart and your life pulled toward this, if you think, like, my heart isn't big enough, I don't seem to care about it enough, what does Jesus say? Put your money there. (laughs) Put your money in it. And your heart will follow. Do you know the exact percentage of income that you give to the church? Do you know the exact percentage of your income that you're giving to the church? Do you know that precisely? Do you know precisely how much money in your, of your income is going towards missions? Do you know precisely how much of your money is going to reach unreached people groups that they would come to know Jesus? 
If you don't, you've got math to do this afternoon because you should know that. You should know what you spend on groceries. You should know what you're spending on entertainment. You should know what you're spending on your house and your car and your clothes. You should be very aware of precisely where your treasure is going because Jesus says your heart will follow. It may be that you wonder, why do I care so much about things? Maybe because a lot of your money's going there. I'd like you to pray about this. Okay, <laughs> so let's just, let, we stop for just a second here. Um, you know, because we can ask preachers, like, give us the practical applications, and then they give them to you, and then you walk out and you don't think about them ever. So this isn't about me. It's not, this is about, I, I just want you to have some conversations with God. So not, none of this works in our lives if we, if we don't talk to God about it. Like, Father, what do, you, what do you want from me? And then it also doesn't work if we don't talk to others about it. If you're married, have this, initiate this conversation with your spouse, especially you men, lead in your homes. Have this conversation with your spouse. Ladies, if he doesn't lead, bring it up. Have the conversation about money and how you're spending it. If you're single, have a conversation with a close friend. If you don't have a close friend, stand in the lobby and go up to someone and say, will you be my friend? And can I talk to you about my money? <laughs> and they'll think that's really weird, but they were in the service too, so they'll say okay. Or call Diane in the office and set up an appointment with Jim, George, or me. And get advice, or one of the other elders, Paul, or Ron, or Jonathan, Dan. These are wise men. They're godly men. To get counsel and advice. Ask God, ask God, how much of my or our income do you want us to give? Just ask him that again. How can we think of your kingdom first? What would that look like? How can we use that year-end bonus that we got? How can we use the tax return that we got? How can we use that unexpected gift that we got from someone of money? Instead of just immediately, listen, I, I'm here, I'm right there with you. I have stuff I'd like to get. I think, you know, the bonus comes like, ooh, I could get that now. Instead of going, whoa, wait a second. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Why did you bring that into my life, Father? I don't do that enough. I was recently surprised by our deacons along with George and Jim, with a cost of living increase due to the increased inflation that we are all, like we're all experiencing, aren't we? Oof. And our deacons just lovingly cared for staff to give a cost of living increase. And we were then blessed when you as a congregation approved that as part of our 2024 budget. And Susan and I, so we sat down and we have already set aside a portion of that increase to start actually immediately started it this month to Young Life. So, right, local outreach. Like, okay, how can we give to outreach? And now this week what we've been praying is, Father, what do you want us to do with this increase for missions? How can we reach the nations with this increase? How much of it do you want us to give? Where do you want us to give it? And so we're praying about that and we just started having some conversations and there's already opportunities that are presenting themselves. 
Now, I'm going to admit something to you. I was a little afraid to tell you what I just told you. Because I thought maybe you'll think I'm up here bragging. Or that I, you know, want some pat on the back or something from you. But I wonder if our habit in the church to keep our giving private is actually part of the reason that the average American gives only 2.58% of their income to the church overall. Because, you know, I looked this week and I didn't find anywhere in, the, in this entire book that says, don't tell anybody what you give. Or don't let anybody ask what you give. Doesn't say anywhere to keep it quiet to not ask. And I wonder, shouldn't we celebrate generosity? I mean, shouldn't we encourage the placing of our treasure in good places for our hearts to be drawn towards? Wouldn't stories of giving and and God's blessing and delight that follow that giving be a good thing for us to hear as a church family? Isn't that part of how we grow is by challenging each other in a particular area where we need growth or confessing that to someone. Like, hey, would you pray for me? I, I think that I'm supposed to give more and it's hard and I got a tight, but like, listen, I get it. We have tight budgets, right? Like, and then you hear someone like, want to give more and like, pastor, I can't squeeze blood from a turnip. And then what pops into my mind is, Paul telling the story, right? Telling, be honest, telling the story to the church of Jerusalem of the Macedonians who gave beyond what they were able. Did you ever pause there and think, (laughs) how do you give beyond what you're able to give? Like, how do you give everything and then give more? Think about that this afternoon. Because they did. They figured out a way to do that. They gave beyond what they were able And here's the thing. Paul had no bones about this. He had no bones about Jesus. He's just following his king, Jesus. I mean, Jesus had no trouble talking about money. No trouble whatsoever. And neither did Paul. I mean, let's not forget, dear family, let's not forget that this magisterial letter by the Apostle Paul filled with history and doctrine doctrine and theology and the grand story of God's redemption and the clearest statements that we see anywhere in the Bible of the good news of Jesus, that all of it also is quite simply a support letter. (laughs) It's a support letter. Right from the very beginning in chapter one, he says, I'm writing to you because I want you to be involved in the harvest that I am seeking among the Gentiles. He starts off, he doesn't hide it right away in the beginning. And then at the very end, at the very end, turn with me to the end of Romans in chapter 15. Go to chapter 15 in Romans. And and here's, here's what you have to get is, not all of us will be called to be missionaries. I heard this recently, someone say it this way, and I thought that is a really good way to say it. We're all called to be global Christians. Okay, so that's what I want. I want for us. Okay, everybody, we're all, we are global Christians. We are not bounded by this nation, this country. We are global Christians. And that's what Paul is on about here. He says in verse seven, I say, or excuse me, verse eight, for I say that Messiah became a servant of the circumcised, of the Jews, on behalf of God's truth, 
to confirm the promises to the fathers. So here's what Jesus himself did. That's, we could call it outreach. And so that Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. That's what Jesus is about. Jesus is about outreach and missions, y'all. That's what he's writing. And he says, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing praise to your name. Again, it says, rejoice you Gentiles with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples praise him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will appear, the one who rises to rule the Gentiles so that the Gentiles will hope in him. My brothers and sisters, I myself am convinced, verse 14, about you, that you are also full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to instruct one another. Could that be said of so many mature believers here at Grace Church? Absolutely. Nevertheless, okay, I know that's true, but I have written to remind you because we all need reminding. More boldly, I'm going to be bold and get up in your grill about this. On some points, because of the grace given to me by God to be a minister of Messiah Jesus to the Gentiles, serving as a priest of the good news of God. Why? Because God's purpose is that Gentiles may be an acceptable offering sanctified by the Holy Spirit. That's his purpose, and I want to remind you of that. Therefore, I have reason to boast in Messiah Jesus regarding what pertains to God. For I will not dare say anything except what Messiah has accomplished through me by word and deed for the obedience of the Gentiles. You see how he's, he's measuring the truth of the good news, doctrine, theology, meat, always tying it, connecting to his mission. This is about a mission to reach more with all of these things that we're talking about. I'm doing that by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's spirit. He's in this. The only way I can do this ministry. As a result, I have fully proclaimed the good news of Messiah from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum. My aim is to preach the good news where Messiah has not been named unreached peoples so that I will not build on someone else's foundation. But that is as it's written, those who were not told about him will see This is what he's about. And those who have not heard will understand. This is why I've been prevented many times from coming to you because I've been so busy in the work. But now I no longer have any work to do in these regions and I have strongly desired for many years to come to you, to come to you, (laughs) but you're just a a stopping point. (laughs) I've desired to come to you. I want to be with you on my way to Spain. That's where my eyes are, is Spain. And I hope to see you when I pass through I hope to see you and to be assisted by you. He has absolutely no bones about what he's about and what he wants them to be about. Here's the reason I'm telling you all of this is so that you can be involved in the work with me. I've written the whole letter for this end. I want to see you just on the way. I'm just a passing through, y'all. And then I want you to help me. And he's going to go on to say at the end of the letter that help is by giving gifts and and by prayer. And this just isn't, listen, this isn't just for individuals to consider, just to be clear here about what our giving looks like. As a church, we have to consider this. Your elders and deacons continue to have conversations about how we're going to keep, how we're going to keep raising the percentage that our outreach and missions categories represent as part of our budget. We started that conversation months ago. We're going to talk for hours and hours about it, to be, to be fair and to be honest. But we're having that conversation. You saw an increase in the budget. You saw us break out these categories so that we would know exactly what percentages were going to what areas. 
We wanted clarity on that so that we could start to say, okay, well, missions is about 6.76%, you know, just to give you a rough number, of our budget. We want it to be more than that. We want it to be at least 10. So we're going to be increasing it year over year over year so that that will grow to increasingly, therefore, pull the heart of Grace Church towards outreach and missions. Number two, research and read. The only way that you'll be able to increase your knowledge of the urgent local and global need is to research and read about it. This is another way that your heart can grow for outreach and missions. Books. (laughs) You need books. And I love saying that because I love books. I have hundreds and hundreds of them. I love books. And they're so helpful. And they they will help you as relates to missions, cause, and endeavor Books will convict you and inspire you and motivate you in the great cause and commission that is on your life. Some of the books that I've been reading in the last month are Something Needs to Change, A Call to Make Your Life Count in a World of Urgent Need, Don't Hold Back, Leaving Behind the American Gospel to Follow Jesus Fully, and Gospel Threads. So those are like kind of missions books. And then I've got an outreach book, Gospel Threads, weaving the good news into everyday life. New ways, new, new ways to think about conversations that I can have with people in our town. You need to read the stories of missionaries. I have a goal for you that I want to give you. Read one biography in the next 12 months of a missionary. Just one biography. It doesn't even have to be a long one. It can be a short one. Just read one biography. Or maybe say, man, Pastor, I don't like books. You know, there are movies. <laughs> Watch a movie about a missionary to keep the mission's task before you, to be inspired of how God uses simple people like you and me to do great things. That's the great things about biographies is like we see these great missionaries that you hear about maybe in school or in college or whatever in a church service or, or on, a, on a website and you're like, oh man, I could never do that. And then you read their story and you're like, oh, they were just like this guy working a job and then God called them and did great things through them. Well, he could do that through me. Of course he can, right? Because same spirit. Same spirit, same power. And then there are the websites and the tools that are available to us. You can go to a website like radical.net. So many amazing. (laughs) It was so great that when I pulled this up on Friday, how to talk to your spouse about moving overseas for ministry. (laughs) First article. Go and read that today. Who knows what could happen? Maybe five months from now, we'll be standing up here and laying hands on you and your wife. Who knows? Go to websites like stratus.earth. Stratus.earth is a shockingly powerful uh, website tool that, that you can use. Uh, so I went to Stratus, and, and you go, and it's got this big spinning globe when, you, when you're able to you know, be live on the internet and And I typed in, you can see there, there's a little search bar. Uh, Let me see here. Ooh, ah. Search bar right there, and I typed in Thailand. And then it took me to all this information on Thailand. Every one of these things is a clickable event. You can see right over here, we've got prayer points that you can have and all this different information where I can learn more about Thailand. And then I can go even further and deeper and see all the different people groups that are inside of Thailand. And then when I click on one of those bubbles, I can go here and I can break out the information by spiritual, whoops, 
spiritual needs and natural things and political situations and developmental things that are going on in the country. I can learn so much about a country that I want to be praying for and reaching with the good news of God. We have powerful tools like that. I mean, can you imagine if the Apostle Paul like sat down at a computer today and said, look at the tools that you have available to you. I had to write on parchment and put it on a ship and send it across and I had to wait months and months and months and I waited for months for it to come back. You sit down and type an email and go send and in a nanosecond, it's there. Like we have amazing tools available to us. When you support a missionary, study the country, its cultural context, its history, read their updates and letters carefully. Who among us has got a missionary support letter that's two pages long and skimmed it? Can we just be honest with each other? You threw her up on the fridge, like, every, like there's a couple people going like, yeah, okay, I did that. Read it, the whole thing. Don't just give a check. Give your heart. Be all in. Fall in love. Be broken over the lostness of the people that that missionary is trying to reach. Make it personal. Even though maybe you haven't had a chance to visit that place. Like this past Wednesday. When Ryan and Rebecca shared, we we heard very detailed stories of very particular people involved in their ministries. We heard about their families and their trials and their difficulties. We were asked to pray for them by name. I wrote names down in my journal that night. I, I, I wish all of you, I wish it would have looked exactly like this on Wednesday night. So all of you could have heard their stories. You're gonna get to hear in a second, more from them. Take the time to really know, to get the details. This is how you'll become a global Christian. This is how his purpose will drive everything that we do, how it will be woven through how we live our lives. All the other life stuff still has to happen, right? Strike that. It doesn't. Something will need to change. Actually. You'll have to give something up to take this on. You'll have to. Your life will have to change. I think that's the big problem. You're like, how am I going to add this to everything I'm currently doing? You're not. (laughs) You're going to have to change. Where our treasure is, there our hearts will be also, which leads us right to our next strategy and way of thinking. Where you live and wherever he leads. So, Ryan and Rebecca, would you come up here, please? So here we go, mid-sermon missions moment. Um, I want to encourage you. Here's what I want to encourage you. Family, Ryan, you sit right. Um, From today on, I want you to be thinking the following way in relationship to God's call on our lives to have a heart for the nations. Here's how I want you to be thinking. Where you live and wherever he leads. That's what I want you to hold intention in your life. So first, how will you help the nations call on Jesus where you live? What are the things that you can be passionate about right here in Salida? Now, I've been here about a year and a half. I have not seen a tremendous amount of diversity in Salida. But diversity is here, and the nations are here. We happened to be at a restaurant just the other night, 
And these two heard Thai, the language, coming out of the kitchen. And so they made a connection. So Susan and I show up. They're already connecting. And then when we leave, a further connection happens for a number of minutes that we hope will lead someday to the salvation of someone who was here to cook in a restaurant from Thailand in Salida. The opportunities are here if we'll just look for them. Where am I going to have and create a heart for the nations where I live? And then through that kind of a commitment to outreach in our town, see what we're doing. When we do that, is, uh, we're flexing muscles that probably either never grew or have atrophied in us. That's what I feel. I feel like my missions muscle has atrophied over the last number of years. And so I have to flex that. And as, it, as, it, as I flex it, it gets stronger. As I open my heart, it gets more and more open to possibilities and opportunities and change and transformation in me. I grow. That's what we want to do. And as we do that here locally, it will we'll open our hands and say, okay, and now where are you leading? <laughs> Here's what I want to do where I live. Where are you leading? Now, I know how this works because I've seen it in my own life. I've seen God work in my own life where I was at to lead and take me to a number of different nations. I'd never been out of the country before uh, until I was about 30, 31 years old. But I've asked Ryan and Rebecca here to share it because their story is, is the one I really want you to hear this morning. And it's really powerful about being open where you lived, which was Salida, to wherever he leads, which is to Thailand, this flag that we've got up here representing the country you're serving. So please tell us how God started to plant a seed for the nations where you lived here in Salida. What, what did it look like? How many years was that? Um, so just got to say, this is really nice to have a table here. Is it okay if I put my elbows on? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I wish never... we had some really good uh, Seed of Hope coffee that we were drinking <laughs> right now. some in the back. Okay. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I've never liked being on stage, and so this feels a little bit more comfortable, but not There totally. you go. But anyway, um, when I was 18, well, I grew up in this church since I was 10, and when I was 18, I was sent out by people from this body and, and others to Papua New Guinea. It was my first time out of the country. And uh, it was a mind-blowing experience. It was nothing that I expected it would be. And um, that was, I would say, the seed that was planted in mm -hmm. me that took many years to come to the fruition of a calling or what you would call a calling. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Rebecca, where is your yeah. story intersect and line up with that, like where you're living? So I actually grew up in Alaska and kind of the boonies back then. So what I would do for entertainment was listen to the local radio station and they played a program called Unshackled by Pacific Garden Missions out of Chicago I remember and that program. Remember I that? listened to that one. Okay. Yes, absolutely. Still, yeah. I think they're still um, producing um, so dramas, real life dramas. And so I would put my big headphones on my little face and it would get squished. And I would listen to those stories. And, you know, they were, a lot of them were about missionaries. Mm -hmm. And I just, I, I believe in my heart that's how God started um, planting the seeds for me because I was very uh, enthralled and it did something to my heart for sure. Hmm. 
Yeah. So that was the start for me. Yeah. And so when, when these two little seed beds came together, and were there other, can you remember maybe a couple of other mile markers that maybe take us from some mile markers that maybe started to happen that you see maybe a little seedling kind of go up towards, uh-oh, I, th- I think he's leading somewhere that's not here anymore. What did, what did that look like? So when I came back from Papua New Guinea, when I was 18, I jumped right into college at Colorado Christian University, and I was like, God, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go now. <laughs> and then, uh, but he had other plans. And, and uh, two years later, I met my better half at CCU. And um, anyway, God worked in, in that relationship. And I, when I proposed to her, um, maybe you should tell this part of the story, but basically the, the nutshell is um, I said, before you say yes, I asked her to marry me. I said, before you say yes, know that if God calls us to missions, are you ready to go wherever it is hmm. on the planet? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So right I at the beginning. Yes. What's that? I said yes. <laughs> I still wonder if sometimes like she right away, it. Like right away? Like right there. You said yes. I waited yes. for a few seconds. <laughs> okay. All right. I was sweating bullets. <laughs> yeah. So right away, I mean, just the beauty of that, right? Like just an open-handedness to say, okay. I'm in for where you would lead. Um, when you described that call towards Thailand, when, when we were having dinner the other night, I was struck by the fact that, that you were really honest about there were, there were costs like, that you had to think through. I think of like Jesus saying, you know, sit down, count the cost before you, before you move. And um, are, there, are there a couple of costs that, that come to mind of like, here's we're going to talk about the adventure and the joy. So there's that balance for sure. But, but we want to be honest about there are costs to this. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of costs. Um, I think the hardest for me was just leaving family and friends, leaving my church um, community. Um, and then just, you know, we miss weddings and funerals and birthdays. Um, and births, um, just missing all of those special events that keep life keeps moving on here, missing all of those. And then when we left, you know, our boys weren't young. They were going into seventh and our sixth and eighth grade and having them, having to watch them, um, leave their friends and say goodbye. And then, and then kind of a weird one maybe for some people, but saying goodbye to our dog. That was really, really hard. <laughs> um, when we were talking the other night, one of the things, and I, I shared it a little bit last week, but I just wanted to say it again, is that I was really excited as we we're just having this conversation and you just look at me and like, but it's an adventure. Like there's joy. And I was like, oh, yes, Ryan, that's so good. Um, so now tell us a little bit of like, couple things maybe of the adventure and the joy of being obedient to God's call on your life, wherever he would lead. I think, I think um, calling goes beyond just duty and obligation, right? Hmm. It goes yeah. way beyond that. We're called into a greater story. Um, the best way I can describe it is, um, as followers of Jesus, we have, this, we have this decision. We can either follow this swamp of sin over here and pursue sin, or there's the, all the good things that, that we get busy with that are good, good, and, um, but it isn't what we're called to. Mm-hmm. We, can get, we can busy ourselves with good things. And then there's the, there's the green light that God gives us, our true calling, 
and he gives us the green light and we say go. And he says go. And I think that only happens in the context of following Jesus on a personal basis, but also in the context of being around followers of Jesus who speak into our lives, who hear us and we hear them. Um, does that? Absolutely. And so anyway, yeah. It, it, yeah. When, we yeah. find, when, when God shows us that green light, when we're in, in unity with him, um, and he shows us that green light, it kicks the door open to an adventure yeah. that uh, we, <laughs> wouldn't, awesome. we wouldn't experience otherwise. Yeah, that's so good, so good. Well, thank you so much for sharing a little bit, just a little bit of your story. And you're, you've been such an encouragement in just the, the little time that we've had together. And I know that those of you who have known Ryan and Rebecca for a lot of years, um, back to, did you say 10, right, 10 years old, Back to 10 years old. You said that on Wednesday. Paul Jansen is Paul. Paul Jansen back there, like, was a Sunday school teacher for you. I never knew that. I was like, that's so great. Like, isn't it super encouraging to have sent one of our family and to support them in increasing ways? Can you all just give them a hand uh, for, for their obedience? Can I say just one more thing? Yeah. Okay. And I just want to say, I mean, it, it, it's, it's humbling to be up here because. Um, we are broken human beings, and we need Jesus daily, and we are a work mm. in progress. Mm. So we haven't arrived Amen. at all. Yeah. We're, we're, we're following Jesus daily, and we, that's the direction we want to go. Amen. Amen. Thanks, brother. Thank you, sister. So appreciate you. Mm. You know, as I... Uh, as I listened to a deeper and broader explanation on Wednesday night that Ryan and Rebecca shared, um, and I had in my mind this, this tension that, that Ryan had shared with us at dinner of like there is some cost and there's this greater adventure and joy that's out there for us. I, I felt like I was watching as I saw pictures flit across the screen of, of like, it was kind of like a missions version of It's a Wonderful Life. Right, like it's a wonderful life. Has everybody seen it's a wonderful life that that Christmas movie? Right, like, and, and what does he get shown? He gets shown what it would have looked like if his life had not been. And when I thought of and saw what was happening on Wednesday night, a building that is going up in Thailand, dorms that are present there that weren't before, couples we saw who are involved in the work, women that had been trafficked human trafficking, and now had work sorting coffee beans, a coffee company providing livable wages and work for people, a young lady saved who now needs prayer for her witch doctor grandfather, the young man on a motorbike, a, a mechanic, I think, who, who we need to pray for, the countless children whose lives have been radically transformed. Do we have those pictures, Amy? We don't. Okay. Well, we'll get them to you somehow or something. <laughs> the trajectory of all of their lives radically altered. None of it and so much more would be a reality if they hadn't been obedient. It would just be Pottersville wherever you looked. And I know that this has been your delight. In the famous words of the missionary David Livingston, right? It, was no, it is no sacrifice. It was no sacrifice. Because you get it. You get it. 
And the same is true for all of us. If, if we get this, if we give our hearts to this, God's great commission, call, and command won't be crushing. It will be sweet. If we give ourselves to it. It's why John could write that this is what the love of God is. It is to keep his commands and his commands are not a burden. 1 John 5, 3. Here's how one dead guy said it. Most people are not satisfied with the permanent output of their lives. Can we be honest about that? I'm 54 now. Some of you are a couple years older than that. And we can look back and sometimes have regrets and not be satisfied with the permanent output of our lives. Nothing can wholly satisfy the life of Messiah within the followers of Messiah. This life that's been given to you now, right? I have the life of Jesus in me, except nothing can wholly satisfy that life within you now, except the adoption of his purpose toward the world he came to redeem. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Fame, pleasure, riches are but husks and ashes in contrast with the boundless and abiding joy of working with God in the fulfillment of his eternal plans. The people who are putting everything into Messiah's undertaking where our treasure is are getting out of life its sweetest and most priceless rewards. (laughs) Number four, raise the next generation. Raise the next generation. So we need to be like people like this dead guy talked about. We need to be men and women like that. And we need to be moms and dads like that. Because, listen, family, the only way that this mission is going to happen is if we raise the next generation to be involved in it. In Don't Hold Back, Leaving Behind the American Gospel to Follow Jesus Fully, I read this story a few weeks ago. He, David Platt tells a story of a, of a girl that someone sends him this um, YouTube video of a young lady. She's Mormon. And uh, there she sits on the screen and the family is surrounded around and she has an envelope in front of her. It's an it's a envelope opening ceremony. Now, maybe y'all don't know uh, what Mormons do. Now, now think of this, right? Mormons, which it's false teaching. It's a counterfeit good news. Believing and giving yourself to that doctrine and the teachings of Joseph Smith will result in you having a life in an eternal hell. Mormons raise their children to go on a two-year mission when they graduate from high school. The trajectory of their lives is aimed towards advancing the teachings of Joseph Smith to the nations. So here sits this 18-year-old girl with this envelope in front of her with expectation on her face. And as she opens up the envelope to see the country where she's going to be sent, before that she's going to be sent to a center that's going to train her in language and culture learning to reach that particular nation. She opens it up and her, her face just lights up and the family and friends gather around erupt in celebration as she is sent to a nation to proclaim a false good and therefore not good news. Why is this? Why is a teenage member of a cult 
more excited about and committed to going to the nations than many Christians are, even though we have the good news of Jesus, Messiah. And why are we as the church, David Platt writes, the true bride of Jesus not raising up the next generation with the expectation the expectation that they will take the good news to the nations as we passionately cheer them on. Platt says further, I think about all the students I spend time with in our church and on college campuses. Many tell me that the greatest hindrance to taking the good news to the nations, what do you think the greatest hindrance is? Their Christian parents. Parents telling their children to study, practice sports, learn instruments, all while they're overseeing hours upon hours of their days in front of screens. We prioritize taking them all over the place for all kinds of activities, telling them they need a good education so they can get a good degree, find a good job, make good money, have a good family with a good retirement. Because that's the American way. Now, are those unworthy concerns? Of course not. Should we send our kids to college? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's not wrong. Well, maybe now it is, $80,000 a year for a degree you can't use. However, in the middle of it all, what parents need to be doing, me included, I still have a senior at home, We need to ask a more significant question. How are we training the next generation to accomplish the Great Commission? That needs to be written down on a piece of paper and put somewhere in your life as a mommy and a daddy. How am I teaching my kids to spread the Great Commission in outreach or to be willing to go to the nations? Our parents and other adults, young and old alike, showing the next generation what a commitment to proclaiming the good news, where they live and wherever he leads, looks like, right? Because you can't just teach them. You can't look at your kids and say, say, do as I say and not as I do. Did you ever hear that from your parents? I did. And I about fell over when I said it the first time to my kid. Do today's students see in their dads and moms and men and women around them in Grace Church a zeal for God's glory and a love for all people, including those peoples who might be perceived as enemies? Are we teaching them to be willing to go to Gaza where they could be killed because they speak Jesus? Do they see modeled before them a vision for the proclamation for the good news in all nations? Because that's the God that we have in our Bibles. That's the God we serve. It may be time for us as mommies and daddies to reprioritize our priorities. And therefore, and therefore, okay, and that feels a little negative, right? But therefore, to realize our purpose. (laughs) Like, to raise up the next generation to reach the nations. Where is our treasure? Finally, number five, pray and pray and pray and pray and pray. Make it a commitment to pray every single day. Every single day for your neighbors and the nations. I have a friend who uses an old school technology. She's got this really great technology. It's called a notebook and a pencil. And when she meets someone new, she writes their names in this notebook. 
and she'll write a little bit of information about them. And it's my understanding that she, she prays for them. And the next time she sees them, she's ready. She's like, can remember like, because it's an amazing thing when you write something down, how it like somehow imprints it on your brain. And, and then when you pray for someone, have you noticed when you pray for someone, your heart starts to like where your prayers are, there your heart will follow, maybe Jesus could say. She's weaving the good news into her life for her neighbors. I have a newer technology that you can use to pray for the nations. Almost all of us are carrying around in our pockets a little block of silicon, steel, and glass that has access to the world. There is a website called the Joshua Project that you can go to that talks about those 7,523 people groups. And then you can go to an app and download the Unreached People of the Day app. It's the first app I open every morning in my morning devotions now. And there, when I open it up, boom, the next people group comes up and there's all kinds of information and prayer points so that every day I can pray and have information about an unreached people group with a little picture. There'll be a little picture of one of those people that my heart and I look at them and go, without Jesus, they're going to hell. And I can pray for them. And my heart will get bound to them. Here's one last thing, and then we're done. Here's what I want you to, I want you to consider praying this, okay? Here, here's a very concrete application point. I want you to be willing, I'm hoping, I'm praying right now that there would be at least a handful of people in this room who would consider getting down on your knees tonight and asking God, am I supposed to go? To just make that commitment, am I supposed to go? Do you want me to leave America and all of its comforts for the unreached? Simply ask that question with the willingness to go wherever he leads. This is what we're praying for, right? Like, and, and be praying for that, that God would plant seeds and raise them. Last week after the second service, a young boy under 10 came up to me and said, Pastor, I want to be a missionary. The very next person after that young man was a 76-year-old woman who said, this is getting driven into my heart and I think he wants me to act on this in some way. This last week, I talked to a couple who's new to Salida and they came into contact with their new neighbor and, and she said, I heard in my head, press into the awkward. Right, like, that's just asking, like, God, what will you do? Will you revive us? Can there be a revival for missions? The great missionary, the Apostle Paul, tells us how he could go wherever God led. Isn't that what he did with his life? He, he just went wherever God would lead. I consider my life of no value to myself. That's how I could go. I got unhinged from it being about me. My purpose is to finish my course and the ministry I received. Worship team, would you come up? and the ministry that I received from the master, Jesus. And what is that purpose and course and ministry? To testify to the good news of God's grace. Which is not a mission that's unique to Paul. That's, that's our mission. May we say the same as 
him. Yes, and very amen in Jesus' name.